Everybody, I am um, I'm really excited to have this person on the podcast with me. Um, she has been a friend for a while. She's an artist and living in Nashville, just coming off of being on tour with Chris Tomlin, which we'll get into later. She's an incredible artist. Uh, her name is Nicole Serrano. She was on The Voice one time, and mm-hmm. like, yeah. like so. I, want, I just want you guys to hear from her. I, want, I wanted you to. I wanted to introduce you to my friend, who's a really cool artist. Because when she blows up, I just want you guys to like remember that I actually know Nicole. So Nicole, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to have you on. So okay, how many songs have you done? Not, like, I mean, because you've been doing music for a long time now. So so how much? How many songs have you done? How many have you written, put out? Here's the thing. I have put out I think three three records um and a couple singles I've written probably like 300 songs at this point (laughs) and you see like 10% of them online and so this next you know uh venture for me musically is I'm trying to think less and just create and like release it and put it out into the world more Cause I just overthink things to death and you know, I'm like, Oh, it has to be branded perfectly or it has to like match this vibe perfectly. And I just need to get it out. So, yeah. So that's my, uh, my new goal for 2020. Well, I mean, I, I told you off, like when we were off air, I hate saying that. It feels so douchey to say when we were off <laughs> air, like I got a radio show, but I told you like before we yeah. started recording that, like, um, your song "Just Breathe" is like my favorite, one of my favorite songs right now. It is so good. Like my kids love it, and, and you know it's how it is when, you, yeah. Well, you know how it is when like you know somebody and they mm-hmm. like and they put music out. Like you, you. I think the, um, I think the 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 curve, I guess, for like that being good, is like it's maybe not the curve. It's just really hard to get over the fact that you know someone when they put mm-hmm. music out because you're like almost instantly critical of it. You're like, oh, I know her. It can't be that good. But every time I put that record on, I'm just like, uh, this is so freaking good. Like, it's like, yeah. it's like Thank I you. don't know her. And so, so, so <laughs> anyway, I mean, I was, I'm going to tell people at the end, I'm going to put the song and all your music in the show notes because I want them to listen to it because I think it's awesome. But Thank that's you. actually not that's actually not why you're on on existential. Not at all. You're on existential. It doesn't matter because you because you are you have been a Christian artist. You've toured with, with a like I mean probably the biggest name in Christian music. But you are a person who has been deconstructing your faith now for several years, and I want to hear that story. I want to hear what it's like to be a person who is sort of you know, carrying the, the flag of evangelical Christian on tour with, you know, uh, a poster boy for, for it. But while you yourself internally are going, yeah, I'm really wrestling and struggling through what I actually believe right now. So what's that process been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I would say probably three or four years. 
I'm in three or four years deep now of Hmm. kind of unraveling all those questions that I think I've always really had. Um, And, you know, the faith that was handed down to me, the borrowed faith from my my parents, my dad's an AG pastor, Assemblies of God pastor. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I was kind of raised in that Pentecostal fundamentalist um, box where I was taught, you know, have an answer for everything. And I think that was, it came from a good place. I think it was like, okay, let's be safe and let's have something safe to hand down. Um, Mm -hmm. Because living in an existential place is scary, as we all know. Um, (laughs) And so I think, you know, I've heard other people talk about their deconstruction in a way of like, it's like a death by a million paper cuts. And Mm. I think that's just like the best way to put it because if you have one paper cut you can forget about it a day later unless it's like in between your fingers and that's like the most painful mm-hmm. thing but mm-hmm. you can forget about it move on but if you have a thousand paper cuts you can't move without addressing the pain and wow. addressing that something's wrong and so that's wow. just stuck with me i don't remember who said it i wish i could um but it's felt like that it's felt like you know the same pressure points that bothered me from like being 10 years old as a kid have never stopped being sensitive um, whenever issues would arise or whenever I'd see someone being treated differently than how they were promised or, you know, the church saying they do one thing or leaders saying they do one thing, but it was different behind the scenes. Um, Mm. So I think, I think what's different over the last couple of years is now I feel the freedom and permission to like call things what they are and mm. really question because it wasn't always safe to question. It was, um, it was a slippery slope, you know, and, and you start pulling one thread, the whole thing's going to come undone. And, yeah, and that was like the scariest thing, but actually after pulling that thread time after time, it's like, this is the freest I've ever felt. So So what, what enabled you to like get there? Like, how did you, how'd you get to the place where you felt okay asking the questions where you felt comfortable enough in your own skin as a person to go, I'm going to start naming these things the way I feel that they are and not just continue to act like I believe and name and speak in ways that I no longer do. I think um, I think it all started when I was a kid, and my mom is really smart, and she's discerning, she's wise, she's intuitive, um, and I just watched her a lot in church. I don't know why, um, mm. but I noticed that I felt like she was the smartest person in the room most of the time, mm. and it always was so shocking to me that she was never like in charge or she couldn't (laughs) be in charge, but she had to be like my dad's arm candy. And like, so were the other wives of the ministry people. They had to be attached to the guy. And I was just like, that makes no sense because y'all are way more capable. And I knew that at a young age. So I think I was just always a very young feminist that was pissed off. Like, (laughs) like why? Why can't they do that thing by themselves? Like, what's the harm? And mm. so I think it was the role of women 
um, in leadership in a church, even just in marriages, what I witnessed. Um, and I was just very observant and um, in my head a lot as a kid. I didn't say a lot, but I just, I kind of just absorbed everything. Um, so I think growing up and then going to college and then, you know, staying in that same denomination and um, working at churches, I had to be an assistant leader or mm. an assistant to the yeah. regional manager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I always had to be Dwight and um, not always, but most of the time. And even if it was like clouded under the illusion that I was equal, it, I was never really equal. And I watched other females who were amazing and powerful and capable just constantly be pushed aside in the boys club. Um, mm. So I think that was, that was the first thing that never left. Um, and then mm. like, having a lot of my friends be like the token black girl or the token Mexican dude or whatever, like, and coming from New York, Long Island, where honestly white people were minority. It was mm. mind blowing to move out and go to Minnesota from New York, which is crazy. I don't recommend that, but realizing <laughs> that like, Oh my God, racism is still real. Like I thought right. that, that was just in the history books. and. Wow. Um, yeah. So that always was really messed up to me. And then, and then as I grew up and got older and I'd never really put those things to rest, but I started seeing the inconsistencies with reading scripture in a literal way. Um, mm -hmm. And then even mm -hmm. hearing arguments about like, Oh, well, Paul said women shouldn't speak. Like, let's forget the cultural context. Let's forget but that was written for a specific church of people right. or right. hearing like the sick um, debate or the position to argue that scripture can actually um, endorse slavery was like, right. Oh right. my God, we're not even no. the same. We're not on the same uh, playing field at all. And if that's yeah. what this thing stands for, then I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of it. Um, yeah. What What did you have to tell yourself while you were still there, while you were still working at churches, while you were yeah. still like leading worship and, and sort of pursuing this, I imagine more of a, I don't know, conservative space that you were in. What did you have to tell yourself about women, about people of color, about how things were working that allowed you to be able to sit there and deal with it for as long as you did? I want to say, luckily, nothing was very overt, but mm. I don't know if that's lucky <laughs> because <laughs> I think, I think like the ambiguity, like kind of makes it worse sometimes um, where things are, you know, you're part of a cool church or you're part of mm. a group of people that are good people and they mean well, but it's like those old ways of thinking aren't challenged or there's not space to like be taken seriously. Um, mm. And I think I've been in a lot of rooms where people maybe felt similarly that to the way that I did with different issues. Um, but it, it was a fear of like speaking out and not being taken seriously, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. 
So yeah, I think it's this whole, it's the whole like old thing of authority, which is so interesting to me, like in the church, there's such an importance on authority where I'm just like, where, where does that actually play out in real life though? Hmm. (laughs) Like who says to anyone on the street, like I have authority over you, (laughs) you need to submit. Like, I'm just like, what is that? But I feel like that's the thing that's kept people in fear and it's kept us quiet and like kept us from using our heads and actually seeing people that are being hurt and affected by these systematic rules, which it's like, for what reason? Yeah. I don't get the point. So the thing that kept me there to answer your question, because I didn't answer anything, (laughs) but um, I think I, I just kept telling myself like, oh, it's, this place is going to be different. Or like, I know these people's hearts and Mm -hmm. they're trying, like, we'll get there. It Mm -hmm. takes time, you know, like, (laughs) um, and it's scary to like, it's scary to start walking outside of the parameters and like to question things. And, and I got paid a lot of freaking money to do nothing, (laughs) you know, like it was comfy. So why would it, I don't know. And that's why would you? Yeah, seriously. Why would, why would you disrupt that comfort to like, you know, for something and, and ultimately I think all of us who've ever done any deconstruction find ourselves like, um, I'm uncomfortable. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, I make money for doing this and for keeping my mouth shut about that and not rattling that cage, but that money doesn't, comfort me like i'm still Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with how things are and what we're telling people about the world that i no longer agree with or believe in you know and i think that's and i think that it's such an important thing to have these kind of conversations because i i guarantee you there are people listening right now at least i hope so that are like feeling they, they sit at tables with people and involved in structures and organizations that they no longer really fully believe in, but they're just there kind of mindlessly because, you know, it's just what you do. You don't, you know, you don't speak up, you don't say anything. Like you've talked about fear a couple of times. Have you been able to, to, to locate or name where that fear comes from? Like, what is the thing that you were most afraid of when you Mm -hmm. thought, I want to say something about this, but then have the second thought of, but no, I don't want to because. I, I think for me, the big, the big thing is approval. And it sucks because I've tried so hard to give off this vibe that I don't care about anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true. Like, and I'm still working to, to just not give a shit what people think. And. In a healthy way, though, not in a way like what I do doesn't affect anyone else. But, yeah. um, but it's just it robs so many, so many decisions. And you know, I've always had a fear of like doing the wrong thing or doing doing something that's not like the most right, and that's kept me in paralysis. Mm-hmm. And it's kept me from mm-hmm. saying yes to things and things that feel right, like in my heart, in my head, in my body, but like they said I shouldn't, so I'm not going to. Hmm. So that, that just led me to be very disconnected from myself. And I felt like 
two different people. Mm. Um, yeah, you learn what's acceptable when you walk in the doors, and then you hang out with your friends and grab drinks, and that's a whole different side of you. And I just got really tired of it. And eventually, uh, you know, that book, The Body Keeps Score, like, if that's true, if your body literally keeps score of, of hurt and trauma and things that are done against it, like, of course, your soul is going to keep score of those things, too. Mm. And um, I just eventually just, I had such bad anxiety and to the point of being debilitated where I couldn't move. I had to go to the mm. ER a couple of times. And it's just like, I, I'm not congruent. And I can't, like you said, I can't try to believe what I don't believe anymore. Mm. And seeing real life come up against these like rigid rules, it just doesn't work. And it's, it's not helping anyone. And I think that's what makes me frustrated um, waiting this long. It's like, oh my God, I can finally breathe again. Right. And I want all my friends to breathe. <laughs> I want yeah. like this, this kind of faith that I found now that I've actually had to work really hard to find is so much more free. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. what was I doing all that time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, like a, a deep sigh of relief in this. And, and I do also find that I'm more intrigued at the notion of the divine of God, of reality, of whatever people call the space or person mm -hmm. or thing that we, it's just so far beyond us as humans. Um, I find myself more intrigued by the mystery than I ever was by yeah. acting like I knew everything, you know, and, and I do feel more at peace within myself. Like yeah. you described, I hadn't, I hadn't read that book, The Body Keeps Score, and I'm, I'm going to pick it up because it sounds amazing and really interesting. Um, and I also shared some, some like moments of anxiety over just like worrying so much about how people would receive me if I just told the truth about where I'm at, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Like, so yeah, now you eventually have the courage because I mean, even you know, the statement, I don't give a shit what people think uh, is, is a statement of courage for a Christian to, to make. So you eventually yeah. got some courage, right? How Eventually. did you, how'd you get it? Where, how did it come about? Was there a moment? Was there like a catalyst where you were like, this is it? Can't, I can't, can't keep living this way. What, what was it? Was it, maybe it was the book or was it something else? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of books, a lot of podcasts um, mm -hmm. that I just, yeah, like I said, I just started asking those questions and therapy, like cannot say mm. more about therapy. Um, everyone needs to go all the time. Um, cause it just helps you get to see like yourself from another person's viewpoint who is not connected to you and literally just wants to help you <laughs> to, yeah. to be the best version of yourself. So I just, I got to straighten some things out, um, figure out what was at the root of my anxiety. And for me, it was that incongruency of, you know, expectation of what I'm supposed to be, um, which as, as leaders, like ministry leaders in churches, like, I'm sorry, but those expectations are just unbelievable. 
outrageous. Like, yeah, for um, sure. So I had to just get help from someone to kind of see myself more clearly. Um, So that was, that was a big catalyst where my therapist would just, I remember she asked me one question. She was like, what if you accepted yourself exactly as you are and believed that that was who Jesus loved? Mm. And that's such a simple question. But I think if each of us ask ourselves that question and we all have our own stuff, our own our own identities, struggles. And, but if we just stop for one second and like realize that there's nothing we can do to win or lose God's love for us, like that would just get rid of so much garbage that we're just Mm -hmm. so much striving, so much trying to, to gain and earn. And so that really kind of was the first thing for me. Um, and then I, I don't know, I, I just felt like the box that I was given to, to put all of my beliefs and my faith in, it was just getting smaller and it felt more constricting. And, and I was also like living more life because as a, as a kid and a, a college student, I was just, I was pretty, um, uh, oh my God, what's the word? I was sheltered. I was super sheltered. <laughs> And so my view of the world is really small and, um, and, you know, I think, you know, my parents have their own life, their own childhood, and they had a survivor mindset. And um, in some ways I think they had to, and I respect that. And I, I'm actually grateful for it because I think I would have gone off the deep end really young. <laughs> mm. But um, I got to see more of the world and more of people's, like, real life and I got to see my friends birth babies and got to go to different countries and just realize that like we're all the same like Mm. we all have different stories but I just couldn't accept that like this group of people have the monopoly on God or on heaven or like they get to say who those people are on the other side of the world who they've never met Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was all like, it was all so connected for me and I couldn't compartmentalize anymore. I couldn't like put that one thing on the shelf and well, we're trying or we'll, we're, we'll get better eventually. It was, it was all just everything. And um, Richard Rohr, of course, is part of all of our slippery slopes. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> thank God yeah. for him. But like just the phrase, everything belongs, like I was stuck on that for a good year. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we try to get like rid of these things or these facets of ourselves when it's like, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's the beauty. Maybe we're not all supposed to be white and straight and men. Like maybe we're all, we're just, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, there's space for everything and there's not one right way or there's no perfect scenario. Like that's the beauty of, I think the human experience is going to different countries and learning how they, how they uh, observe their religion or how they prepare their food or how they dress. It's like, that's one facet of all of our experience. And I think we're meant to learn from each other. And so, you know, I got to make more friends. I got to meet, 
like real life gay people. I got to meet real life mm. trans people and like mm. all the the beliefs that I was told to have about that like just blew up. Yeah. And realizing that like we're all made in the image of God. Yeah. And um for me it came down to like scripture. Um which I could talk about scripture for like five hours straight, but I think (laughs) that's where, that's where it really kind of like, it was a fork in the road when I could look at scripture and say, okay, this book has been weaponized to support Mm -hmm. the most Mm -hmm. polarizing debates where you could use it. Yeah. Slavery is great. Or, yeah, women need to shut up or yeah, don't have tattoos or don't eat shrimp or don't mix polyester with cotton. Oh yeah. Gay people are going to hell. And then I just sat with that for a minute and it's like, okay, we, if we call homosexuality a sin, we also call gluttony a sin. Mm -hmm. So we started off with, you know, let's send all the gay people to conversion therapy, get them straight. Mm. That didn't work. Let's say they were not born that way. It's a choice. And then studies show, science shows, that's not true. Or Mm. if you have, you know, a nephew that's two years old and the most flamboyant thing, like, try and tell me he's not born that way. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, but if you follow that train of thought, like, okay, if homosexuality is a sin and now it's, it's, it's about, like, choosing that lifestyle or you can be born that way but don't act on it. If you're a glutton or if you're an alcoholic, you're born with a disease. So if you act on it, are you going to hell because you got drunk? Mm. If drunkenness is a sin, sin, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we, we cross these lines and we make these, we make these statements and they don't make sense. Right. And if it doesn't apply to all of us, then it doesn't apply to any. <laughs> yeah, if it's not good it, news for everyone, it's not good news. Exactly. Yeah, and so if there's one group of minorities that like this is really bad news for you, like it's not good news for anybody. And so for me I was like maybe this is a bigger issue of like maybe we're not reading the Bible responsibly. Maybe mm-hmm. we're looking at it too literally and mm-hmm. that's like reading the three little pigs and thinking I have to be really careful of big bad wolf because that's what I read. (laughs) And that's true. You know, like instead of reading the principle of it all, like the principle of excess of sin. And I don't know, like, I don't know what I think about a lot of things. The older I get, the less I know, but I'm just like, that seems pretty freaking obvious to me. Yeah. Well, what do you do? The rules apply to some. Yeah. Well, what do you do with this when it comes to your music? Like, how do you, has, has, has all of this complexity and tension and, and I don't know, um, and beautiful mystery made its way into your music yet? Or is that like, is that future albums? Like, how has it affected you as a writer and a singer? Yeah. No, I feel like I've, I've gotten to be more honest and less afraid. Mm. Um, so when I moved back to Nashville, um, fall of 2017 the first song i released was just breathe the one you referenced and and i was like i'm done with christian music i don't want to be i just there's too many there's too much to it that feels like ptsd shakes like i just can't Mm -hmm. do it right now Mm -hmm. um 
And so, but it was funny because I came to Nashville, I was writing and, and that song just kind of happened in 15, 20 minutes. And I felt Mm. like that was, that's what I heard God or Holy Spirit or whatever you want to say. Like Mm. that voice that has always been with me since I was Mm. four years old, same voice, different context. World looks a little different now, but it's the same voice. And that's what I felt like he was saying to me is. Um, just stay here right now, just breathe. And you'll see that I've, I've always been here. I I am always here. I've never left you. Um, so it ended up being a Christian song, but, um, but I think it just applies to, I think it applies to everyone. Um, but yeah, it just kind of like unlocked a new lane for me. And so I've been trying a lot of different, uh, different vibes, different lanes within music and writing. I'm writing a lot for TV and film right now, which is ex- exciting. That's cool. Um, yeah, and so I'm just I'm just trying a bunch of different things, and and I'm not afraid to get it wrong anymore, which is really nice. Awesome. Um, yeah. I yeah. don't feel the pressure to perform or produce for a certain group of people and hope that they're happy with what I made. Mm. Um, mm. I'm kind of getting to just like sit with myself and find the most true thing to say and just say it the way I want to say it. And it's awesome. It's been, it's been really liberating. And I've, you know, doing, doing this, I've, I've written a lot of theological songs that I haven't released yet, but I hope to, um, (laughs) but a lot of things just like sitting in the middle of this, like just questioning, like, why are things the way that they are? Like, they don't have to be this way. And, um, and it's hard because I'm, I'm, I, I am a Christian, ish, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it looks so much different than it used to, and yeah. And I'm just, I'm getting protective of Jesus because it's like, he's not mm-hmm. just, he's not on Caleb alone. He's not, <laughs> you know, like. I would make an argument that he's he's not on Caleb, but that's a that's a conversation for a totally different day. You said it, um, but yeah, like I don't know. I I just he, the mainstream fundamental evangelical white church doesn't get to present Jesus as like this is who he is, mm-hmm. and he only belongs on this stage. Um, that doesn't even go along with the Jesus that we read in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just trying to be honest. I'm trying to show up to my own life and mm. and not be afraid. I love how you said that. Show up to my own life and not be afraid. Like, gosh, you know. To I think about like what it means to occupy your own space in the world. You know, to to and, mm-hmm. and as a as a as a black man, there's so many times that I've like disarmed myself for people like in public social settings, like I walk into a gas station and like, you know, I'm either make sure I hold the door or I smile so that I soften like myself so that people aren't intimidated or afraid of me. Um, or, you know, I, I spent so much of, of the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, or at least up until the last couple of years where like, I would be the one who apologizes when like you do that awkward dance when like you're, sure. you're excuse me dance. It's like, oh, oh it's my fault yeah. because I'm in the way. And I started to realize how much of that was me not feeling like I could occupy space 
in the world. Like I could, like, like I needed to move because someone white was there. And, and as I was working in churches and, and I, and, and I need to say this, that it's, when I talk about church world, it's, it's my church experience. It doesn't mean everyone has that same church experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I know point. I've been hearing more lately of some really, really great churches that are really, really intensely striving to uh, reimagine what it means to follow Christ and to be a part of this tradition mm-hmm. we call Christianity. Um, but a lot of the church experience has, for me, has been me taking my beliefs and putting them in my back pocket because somehow I wasn't as qualified to believe as the person who had hired me, which is the craziest thing to even say out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing to not feel qualified to talk about something because I'm not as, sure. you know, maybe you're like, oh, I'm not as good a speaker as this person or I haven't read or whatever. but to not have permission to believe the stuff that you believe is just crazy, you know? And so many people like <laughs> feel so, so like bound that like they have to even lie to themselves about what they actually believe. And stories yeah. like yours are liberating for people to hear because they go, oh, like, you know, and I think, and I mentioned the Chris Tomlin thing, just be, you know, just to say that, this is not, you're not some, you know, worship leader that was at like a, you know, small church, you know, playing acoustic, you know, and, and like, like you, you were, you have, you have been like in, in rooms and, and in spaces with some of the biggest names in, in Christian music and worship, and you've been carrying this stuff with you, right? So yeah. that to me is liberating for the person who just sits in a church on a Sunday that wonders if anyone else in the room feels or thinks like they do yeah yeah no i i remember getting to a place of like realizing that okay let's say let's say heaven is real okay let's say that judgment day is real let's say all of that um and i stand before jesus and he's like why didn't you do what i sent you to do and or why didn't you live authentically the way I created you to live? And my answer was, well, my pastor just like wouldn't let me mm. talk about that. Or like, well, I didn't have time because I had to do six services that weekend. And it was just like, at the end of our lives, all we have is what we owned. And like, I just kept feeling, feeling like I can't offer what I have, have not owned in myself. Mm. Like I can be a shell of myself or I can like adapt to what you need me to be or what you want me to do. But it's like, at the end of the day, it wasn't fulfilling deeply what I felt like I was here to do. And I feel like I'm here to just, to tell the truth and to, to offer a little insight into like another way to do this. Um, And I think all of our voices are so necessary. I don't think it's supposed to be just one guy telling everybody what he thinks about this one book and we're all just supposed to be little minions. Like, and I don't think anybody thinks that either. And I'm, I'm using very dramatic language, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a collective experience. We all need to offer our, our life experience and shape this thing because it's not looking good right now. (laughs) Right. It's not. And I wouldn't say, and I, and I would, I would echo what you said that no one, like, I don't know that anyone sets out to say, I want to be the only authority anyone has about no. God. However, 
that doesn't change the fact that there is a way of being that exists that makes it so easy to fall into that lane. And that is what you become. You don't have to mean it. It's like, it's the same thing with racism. You don't, you don't have to mean it to fall into racist ways of being and thinking and, and, and feminine in in sort of like um, uh, chauvinistic ways of thinking and being sexist ways of thinking and being because the, the pool that we're swimming in has all of those things in it. So it's only natural that we'd start to like think and behave in ways that like, you know, are oppressive to people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, so I don't like, I don't say, I, I don't like to leave people on the hook, but I also don't like to take them off of it. You know, like mm-hmm. for me, it's like, yeah, you didn't mean it. Yeah. You don't mean to be this person, but I would love for pastors to listen to this and go and evaluate themselves and go, am I, do I consider myself like an authority on all things God because of my title or because I started this church or because I got hired on at this church or because I have the platform? Because if that is the case, um, you know, if, if I do consider myself to be the authority, that's really problematic given the mm-hmm. fact that, like you said earlier, there's cultures all over the world and people all over the world who I've never met. Mm-hmm. I don't know their story. I don't know their background. I don't know the rich history of their tradition and their culture and what they've learned about the world that I don't know. So, yeah, I, I just, I love your story, man. I, I, I love the stuff you've shared. You've shared so many things that, like, I sat back and thought, like, oh, wow, like, that's really profound, really deep. So that's thanks nice, because for- I feel like a jumbled mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's it's just because it's hard. It's hard, especially it hard. like when you're not a white dude in evangelical church. It's hard to be the person that steps out and says, no, it doesn't have to be this way. There's another way yeah. of thinking and being, and I'm going to be that. Because oftentimes when you're a person of color or a woman in those spaces, you're not rewarded for doing that. Mm-hmm. It costs you yeah. to do that. You sound like an advocate and like um, an artist who is like, on the cusp of being this activist artist, which I love, I think is awesome. (laughs) Um, Who do you, is there a group of people or an idea that you feel like you want to advocate for with your music and your voice and, and how you are in the world? Yeah, I feel like it's all of those things that I said before. I, really care about um i really care about females i care about like especially christian women finding their voice and just being who they are like i don't i don't really care who you are just like be you and don't be scared like that's how i feel um mm-hmm. i also i am completely affirming and um open and I just, I hate the way that the church has um, damaged the gay community. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of like a, that's a scary thing to say out loud because um, I, my views don't represent the views of those that I've, um, you know, uh, presented in the past. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's always that fear of like, well, this, this isn't what they think. So are they going to be mad or are people going to be mad? And, yeah. It's like learning that it's okay to change is a big, big lesson. It's okay to change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to change your mind. 
Um, so yeah, I would say for females, um, LGBTQ community, um, I like, I have a black brother and I, I'm actually Puerto Rican and I look like I'm white. So <laughs> I'm passing in many things that are a majority, but, um, yeah. And I hate walking. I hate walking to the store with him and seeing how people treat him differently. It pisses me off to no end. Mm. And it's like, how do you, how are you a, uh, a supporter of that? It's like just a human supporter. Like mm. no matter who you are, what you look like. Um, I, I just, I hate all the lines and I don't know how to be an activist for everyone, but if I could, I would. And mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. I just want more opportunity for more people that look different and feel different. So yeah. whatever that is, sign me up. Yeah. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and learned a lot, gleaned a lot from what you were saying. And, and I think there's um, a lot in what you're saying that's hope for people who might, you know, feel like you said, be different, feel different, that are um, looking for a space to belong, looking for a tribe to belong mm -hmm. to. And, and what, I've, what I'm hearing, just a lot of the conversations I'm having is that there is a space sort of being created right now for yeah. people to belong to. There's a whole new tribe, I feel like, mm -hmm. that, that's emerging for people in spiritual communities that are, they, I've yet to meet the person who has any issue with Jesus. Um, I've yet to mm -hmm. meet the person who has any issue with the idea of divinity. So, you know, for me, I'm like, let's start there and let's explore it all. Um, and let's allow people to, to raise their voice on things. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you raised your voice and that you said the things that you said. Um, and hopefully it really resonates with, with, with people that are, that are listening. So thanks so much. Like where, um, where can we hear your music? Where can we stay in touch with you? Like how, how do people stay connected to Nicole Serrano? Yes. Um, everything social, I kind of suck at social media, so I'm trying to get better, but, um, <laughs> new songs and stuff will be blast on Instagram. It's just at Nicole Serrano, like the pepper, um, Spotify, mm -hmm. iTunes, all those things. So, all right. Well, thanks so much it. for coming on. I really appreciate you. Good luck Thank on you, everything. Mary. And if there's everything I can do, just let me know. Thank you so much. Okay. So those are like my favorite kinds of conversations to have ones where you're just like telling the truth, your truth from like a deep place that you believe things from and you're not filtering it. You're not like policing your emotions and your thoughts for anybody. So I just really want to thank Nicole for coming on and, and sharing that stuff with us. That was so, 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 three souls. Three souls, great. So Nicole, thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a consistent follower of this content. Those of you who listen to every episode, I know there are a lot of you who do that and I'm really honored that you do that. So. Thank you so much. Continue to share it and review and rate the podcast if you have not already. I'd like to thank Nicole Serrano for the music. The song you're listening to is called Just Breathe. And I'd like to thank all of you for contending for a better world with us. One conversation at a time. <laughs>